1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 379 of The Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah.
0: Hey, Megan. How are you?
1: Oh, just clucking along.
0: <laughs> Were you just waiting to drop that one on me?
1: I mean, yeah, I guess. Um, well, in case it wasn't clear, we have had this idea kind of rattling around um, where we want to talk about motherhood through the lens of having been the caretakers of <laughs> like, what would you say? Uh, fertile and gestating chickens and cats and lactating.
0: Yeah. There's been a lot of, a lot of observational animal motherhood happening in our homes. And if you, if you don't know what we're talking about, we'll give a, like a quick recap, but we found ourselves having, um, conversations just personally in Voxer the way we do about chickens and kittens. Um, And we just thought it'd be fun to expand on that a little. And it's so hard not to apply our own preconceptions about motherhood and raising kids to animal life when we see it playing out in front of us. And then that even even that observation opened up like a whole can of worms. Like, is that even correct?
1: Right. I mean, we had multiple conversations about kitten attachment parenting and kitten extended breastfeeding versus uh, mother-led weaning or human-led yes. cat mother-led weaning. And I mean, I also am now collecting eggs daily and feeling a little guilty about collecting eggs from chickens who clearly want to sit on their eggs. So there's a lot of projection going on. I learned that I can't pronounce the word anthropomorphize. <laughs> no, never mind.
0: <laughs> Maybe by Can the end say of the episode. Me? I don't anthropomorph- think so. It's not getting any better. Which means to project or assign human, uh, like to assume that there's human thoughts happening in these beings who are not humans. That's kind of like how I use it, at least.
1: If you grew up uh, reading books like Black Beauty, um, that's the one that pops into my head, but there's a million of them, like told from the animal's point of view, you do start to kind of think that your cat or the kittens or the chickens or your dog or whatever are thinking the same kinds of thoughts humans are and I feel like that can get a little. Uh, it's tricky. Let's just put it that way. It's a little tricky. So we will tricky. get into all of that.
0: Wait, real quick before we even move on, since we're talking about vocabulary, can I share something I learned about animal husbandry? Because yes, we we when we teased this episode, I think it was just last week. We said we were going to be doing this, and we made a joke about that. I keep calling this animal husbandry, and then I I asked, does that only mean breeding? Like if you're if you're breeding or you have a farm or something, and I actually don't know, I still don't know the technical term, but we were at the Monterey Bay Aquarium just a few days ago, and uh, we did a behind-the-scenes tour, which was really cool, but the tour guide kept referring to anyone who cares for the creatures at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Their The title of their department was husbandry, so that leads me to believe it is not just breeding and helping deliver new babies and, and sires and dams and all of that, that I think of as husbandries. But, um, in fact, maybe it's a broader term and it was used at the Monterey Bay aquarium. And I was like, ha,
1: I love that." You're like, ha ha. Well, you know, the answer was just a quick Google away. So I I just Googled it. it
0: it. And it's
1: funny that you just did all of this mental gymnastics. Um, it's just the care, cultivation and breeding of crops and animals. So yeah.
0: Oh, crops I mean, in there too. Oh. Right.
1: Crops are in there too. So like it has nothing to do with sires and dams. Um, okay. Well, even we're though not talking about
0: plant babies today at
1: all. <laughs> <laughs> not, not today. That'll be another episode. Fowl, when we really get into.
0: Fowl and feline baby.
1: Yes. And I just think what's fun, what I kind of, um, and I'm the one who built out the most of the outline this time. And as I was sort of starting to kind of try to group things thematically, here's one thing that I think is very similar to human moms and babies. You've got the experience of like watching the babies become grown up like teenagers and grown ups, Right. They've got their thing going on. Then you've got the mom and her experience of or the way her behavior is as a mother. And then you've got the pair. And those are like three separate entities. And the way that they so we're like, we can talk about them separately. Like, what does a kitten act like? What does a chick act like? And then we can talk about how the moms act when they're mothering. But then there's the pair and there's all those interesting dynamics, some of which like relate to our lives as human mothers and some which probably shouldn't. (laughs) But still, it's hard not to it's hard not to let them. It's hard not to anthropomorphize.
0: And I would actually add I have a sibling pair of kittens, too. So I have observed some sibling dynamics and maybe some of your chicks are siblings to each other. I would imagine.
1: Yes, but they don't know they are right.
0: (laughs) Mine do. My my sibling pair knows. So. Yeah. Um, well, for anyone new or who maybe even skipped podcast listening this summer and doesn't even know about our chickens and kittens, let's just do like a roll call of the animals living under our roofs and in our yards right now. I can go first because um, this has changed. I'm realizing so much. And it's been a couple of years since we did an episode that had anything to do with pets or husbandry. Um, so I have a dog, Xander, who's five and is a mini golden doodle and will feature Not very much in today's episode, but but a little bit because he is being a really good um, dog with newly acquired cats in our house. Um, We have a guinea pig that we've had for about two and a half years. And my oldest, Luke, has two rats, like a pair of sibling rats that live in Luke's room. So it's like a little different, not like out, but we do have two rats. Um, So that's a dog, a guinea pig, two rats. And then this summer we took on a mama cat with her two babies when they were about four and a half weeks old. Um, and so we had been fostering them for a couple of months. Um, the mama cat has, um, been adopted actually by my brother. So she gets to stay in the oh, family I didn't know that
1: had gone through. It's yeah, pretty much, so great. it's
0: pretty much official. He's kind of foster to adopting right now. And as long as it just wasn't compatible or whatever. So anyway, um, and so we decided to keep both Babies, both kittens. So now we have two cats as well. So that's a dog, two cats, a guinea pig, and two rats. That's your we... rodent
1: game is strong.
0: Yeah, we we are a small farm, and sometimes I have to pause and yeah. think: Is that it? It feels like more. I'm three children. So how about you?
1: <laughs> um, I'm also very curious because, and we don't have to necessarily get into this in depth in this episode, but I do think it'll come up when we start talking about that sibling pair dynamics and the attachment, um, because you went through you. At one point, considered every possible combination of keeping, yeah, the, the a mama and a baby pair, both the kittens, one kitten. Okay. Like you had mm-hmm. many different options on the table, so it'll be fun to kind of go into how you landed where you did. Yeah. Um, so we are down to one actual pet in the house, our cat uh, Gia, who we don't ever call Gia, so I forget that's her name all the time. That's the name she came with from the shelter. We never settled on a different name, and we just call her Kitty. Um, so kitty is roaming around. She's mostly a Clara's room cat. Now she used okay. to be a, my room cat. And she's now in the new house has decided Clara's room is where it's at. And that's where she is almost all the time, much to the boys chagrin. Uh, they want her down in their rooms and she does go down there occasionally, but she really prefers Clary's bed. And, uh, Moxie, our dog was put down. Um, I don't even remember three months ago, I guess.
0: About right, yeah, yeah,
1: so that was kind of that was hard. Um, she had diabetes and just never really responded very well to treatment, and then went blind, and it was just really it was really tough. I have been getting calls from the vet's office because the paw print that they had made, like they asked me while I was signing the dog's life literally away, right? Yeah. And so they're like, "Would you like to have a clay paw print made?" And I thought, well, what kind of monster doesn't say yes?" So I said yes, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want to go pick it up now. Like I have no desire to ever go back to that vet's office. Actually, I it's just like I'm going to take the cat somewhere else. It's just I don't want to go back there. It was yeah. really hard, and I just yeah. I, and I thought they were nice people, but I just don't want to go back. So now I have to figure, I have to figure this out. Maybe I'll just call the credit card in over the phone and ask them to put it in the mail or throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> Something. I'm not. I'm not really a pop print like on the mantle kind of person. Yeah. And so anyway, um, and I have 23 chickens. Okay. Which we got <laughs> that's just kind of that's buried the that in there. Yeah. Yeah. So we got um a whole bunch of chicks in the spring. We went to Tractor Supply and they have chicken days or chick days where they just have like tons of chicks and they're so cute. And they gave us a really good deal on some slightly older ones. Otherwise, I think we were gonna get like 10. And we wound up walking out of there with 25 chicks. I don't I'm it's like a day. I don't even really know how it happened. We have space for them. Um but they're not really pets. They're, you know, they're working animals. <laughs> so they're cows. outside. Yeah. And I do go out there every day and talk to them and feed them treats and, you know, check on them and and take care of them and clean out their coop and gather eggs, which we can talk about the eggs in a little bit. Um, but it's just an interesting dynamic to have animals that are under my care but are not really pets. And so that also kind of creates a little bit of a different it's just different. It's just different the way I think about them and their futures and their fates is a little different than I would about the cat, you know? So
0: Yeah, yeah. uh, totally. And I would even say with a house full of um, pets of different breeds, even like the guinea pig is inside, but the way we interact with the guinea pig and to some degree, the rats is different than dog and cats. So I think there's even a spectrum of of bonding, of like anthropomorphizing and of the way you enjoy these animals. And then, yeah, moving out to the backyard and the pasture, I can see how it would be even even less yeah. of a domesticated companion and more of like, yeah, a working animal.
1: And we'll get into this in a little bit, but um, I think I mentioned that we bought 25 chicks and I also mentioned that we have 23 chickens mm-hmm. and there has been no mourning about the two Right. Missing chickens. So we'll talk about that a little bit. They don't even (laughs) all have
0: names in your, in your flock. Yeah. Most of them don't
1: actually. So Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Okay, Sarah, so I thought it would be fun to kind of start this conversation by talking about that tendency to project, I'm not even going to try attempt the word, the anthro word, um animals and then how that can lead to this confusion and i'm just going to lay out what i've noticed about my situation and your situation yeah. um roosters whole job and we wound up we didn't mean to have any roosters we figured so there's something that you get either a straight run with chicks or pullets and with a straight run it's literally just 50/50 like you they just give you whatever chicks you get and it's usually works out to about 50/50 hens and 50/50 roosters we went with pullets, which means somebody has done the effort to try to f- determine their sex, a but it's check. really tricky, a cursory check. And it's very tricky because their junk all kind of looks the same. So there's not really like a good way to figure it out. Um, and that's, that's all I'll say about that for now. I am in no in, by no means an, an expert, but we wound up with out of 20, 25 chicks, uh, six roosters. that we even know of. I mean, it's possible there could be another rooster who's just very chill, but like six who asserted themselves as roosters. And it's been really interesting to watch the dynamics. Like roosters are like, um, like a bad eighties sitcom dad. They just kind of like, (laughs) they like strut around a lot. Um, It's like married with children or something. I don't know if you remember that show. So It's like a lot of strutting, a lot of telling the women what to do, um, a lot of mating. And the mating doesn't look fun for anybody, but least of all the hens. None of them are into it. They run away. I mean, it's just hard to watch without adding human judgment. And then here you've got this single cat mom with her absentee Tomcat dad.
0: Exactly. So there's no dad in the picture um, in our situation. And she likely was a teen mom in the cat world. And in fostering, I learned they call that a teen queen because queen is the name for a mother cat. Anyway, teen queen has a fun rhyme. So when we very first brought her home, um, the woman fostering her before us had the mom and the kittens when they were, I think she, that woman got them when they were a week old. So somebody had probably found this mama. And the woman told me, she's like, I think she's a teen queen, which means the mom is probably not even a year. So she is a, teen mom, right. With an absentee Tomcat dad who, you know, showed up one night, never was heard from again. My guess is that this litter was probably not two kittens. I've, I've had a few litters of kittens in my life and I've never had a litter of two. That's not to say it's mm. biologically impossible, but usually I it's usually think it's more. Like three to six, three yeah. to seven. Um, so my guess is Probably some of the babies didn't make it. That was not on our watch or even the woman before us. Um, so, yeah, to your point, it's very hard not to take in this family and um, assume like the same like emotional fe- or, you know, thoughts and judgments and feelings about it that we would like a teen mother who with an absent father. And that's not what we're that's not what we're dealing with, but it is really hard not to. So, yeah, I think it's fascinating. Well,
1: it's funny to watch, like, the behaviors of the um, roosters and the hens and to think, okay, so it's, like, around dusk, about an hour before dusk, the roosters start rounding up the hens and pushing them back into the coop. And you can actually see there's a couple, like, rebellious um, hens that will fly up and, like, fly up to the top of the fence to try to, like, almost wait them out or... Not have to get put away for the night, and finally they do they get and then the ro- the roosters just kind of strut around, crowing at everything, and then finally they go in, and then we have like an electronic door on the coop that will shut like half an hour after dusk to keep predators out and they 're in a fenced enclosure um, that 's pretty big but has a lot of opportunity for predators to get in like a predator could climb a tree and jump in like it wouldn 't be hard for them or yeah. or dig under the um, fence, so the roosters are doing their jobs. Um, if they didn't jump on, literally the way they mate, they jump on the backs of the hens and hold to their feathers with their beak to keep them in place. It's very violent to watch. This would be unacceptable male behavior in human life. But that's how it is in the animal world. And that's how the hens stay safe. And that's how they get baby chickens. <laughs> like, it's just so funny when you start to, and I don't know how things would be with a cat. Like maybe in the wild, maybe cats sometimes do mate for life and stay together in pairs. I really don't know. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of funny that we're like, whoa, where's dad?
0: Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yes. We're immediately, <laughs> immediately judging him and feeling protective or sorry for mama. And we don't know. She could be very, she could be totally secure in her position as a teen queen with two orphan babies, like it's- who just
1: landed in a cushy home environmentally mm-hmm. and getting taken care of anyway. So, yeah. all right. Well, okay. With all of that in mind, um, the fact that that's coloring every way we think about every single thing. Let's just talk about the actual behaviors we we've seen in the kittens and the chickens themselves as the chick babies. Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, definitely say how you might've projected your own feelings onto them. If, if there are, I guess, circumstances where you see a kitten acting up and think, you know, if that was yeah. my kitten, yeah, exactly. I wouldn't let that happen, mama. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Well, what's fascinating is the age at which we got them. So um, we got them. They were four and a half or five weeks old when we got them, which means they had been exclusively nursing with their mama um, with at the former foster and they were just ready to start solid foods. Their eyes were open, but it was like the perfect time to get them because we saw so much change between like a one month old kitten and a two month old kitten. And they are now over two and a half months, closer to three months um, as we record this. So I think what was so much fun to observe was on the kitten side, just how they were. I'm trying to think of like an infant, like what age I would compare this to a human infant. I'm already doing that comparing thing, but maybe like a six month old, a five or six month old where they've just been completely like just attached and nursing for a few months. And they are finally like developments about to explode. So for the kittens, they weren't even very good at walking. Their eyes were open and they could walk, but they were not even very good at like walking on all fours. They kind of like stumbled around. They were very timid. They would not go more than like a a foot from their mom. And within from five weeks to six weeks to seven weeks to eight weeks, it was like night and day. So, it was so much fun to like and i couldn't help compare that to, you know, a baby. They're getting interested in the world around them. They're experimenting with sights and sounds and smells just like a human infant would. Um the weaning or sorry, i'll talk about actual weaning later because the, i know that means weaning means the gradual like um shift to solid food and away from breast milk. The introduction of solid food happened right away when we got them. The foster people were like, yeah, they need to start start eating solid food. They didn't actually stop nursing till much later. Um but just introducing them to solid food, we were supposed to put a little bit on our finger and like put it in their mouth and like it's so it was so similar to that kind of like first introduction of solids. Um, One of the babies took to solids really quickly and the other one was not interested at all. And I found myself being that like fretting mother who was like, well, she's you know, I know she's nursing, so I know she's getting technically what she needs. But the foster lady told me that she should be eating solids. I was Megan. I was having all of these same like thoughts you have when it's your first baby. And, yeah. and one pediatrician is telling you, oh, they're just fine. Just keep <laughs> breastfeeding them. They'll eventually come around. And then somebody else is telling you like, no, you know, you really should be like, they should be practicing their pinch or grasp. And like, it's just so <laughs> funny. Like I was having identical, um, feelings about the introduction of solids. And then, yeah, as they got, like, as we moved from six to seven to eight weeks. And now, like I said, I think they're probably hmm, 10, 11 weeks right now. Um, their personalities coming out, the difference between them. I'll probably mention that more later, but it, having a sibling pair is so fascinating because they have such different personalities and then watching the way they start to play with each other, the way they would start to play with their mom and her tolerance of that or not. Um, and then toward the end, I know we'll talk more about weaning later, but, um, they would, they were nursing less and eating more. And I would notice like they'd be really distracted when they were nursing. Like if we'd come in the room, they immediately wanted to get up and play. Whereas in the beginning, when we came in the room, if they were all nestled nursing, it was like, no one could be bothered. They were fine. So it's just like, I, those are just a few of the parallels, but I could not help see mother baby dynamics in the human world in those ways. And then, like we've said, there are lots of ways in which they are not humans.
1: Well, and I think what's really fascinating about that to me, and we'll talk a little more about like the witnessing the mothering experience happening um, with mama cat, but you're, so it is kind of like being the mom who's hearing two different things from the pediatricians, right? Except you're not the mom. The mom is there doing her thing. So you're like an external person. And I guess if we just stood back and watched what the mom did. That might give you clues. However, mom is also not in a normal, natural situation oh, right. either. Exactly. It's kind of like she's a mom with a hovering mother-in-law <laughs> in the background. Uh-huh. And she's probably like, well, I don't know. Seems like she wants to feed the kittens. So, okay. I mean, it's yeah. just it, like it's layering on so many different, you know, interspecies dynamics that make it much more complicated than it would be if they were like out in the bush. Just like living I remember
0: voxing you when the foster coordinator lady made a big deal to me about how important it was to wean them quickly. And I got all in a fluster that, like, this weaning, this introduction to solids needed to happen right away because mama needed to dry out so she could get spayed, so she could get adopted. And what I realized was, like, okay, this woman has a lens of um, fostering and placing into permanent homes as many. abandoned cats as she can, which is totally noble. And like, I see where she was coming from. I was not as on board with that agenda because I was okay keeping this unit together for as long as we needed to, which not every foster family is there's, there's different. So I guess all that to say, like people's advice was very dependent on like what their ultimate goal is. And I'm sure with your chickens, it's the same. Like is, is the, end goal, like mass egg production? Is it sort of backyard chicken enjoyment? Is it to have no roosters? Like there's now it's where the domestic humans kind of come in and layer our own. I don't know, like superiority priorities over what's unfolding in the natural world. There's like, I'm I'm trying to say that without judgment of like what's right or wrong. It's just, we have our human priorities and even those are not all the same.
1: Right. And it's like, there's like public kitten health. So like there's objectives that would be best for like the overall cat world if everybody did it. But then there's a lot of room within that for individual choice, as long as it doesn't kind of affect the bigger system that needs to run a certain way. Um, and I tend to be more of an individualist. So systems are always a little tricky for me. I don't like rules that don't apply to me, um, that I feel don't apply to me. And so even that stuff gets confusing because I'm like, well, but I don't, I get that that's okay for everybody else, but like, that's not what I want to do. So yes. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. Well, I'll briefly, you know, just rehash that with the chicks, we got them from a store and I never saw them with their mothers. I actually have a feeling they were probably incubator hatched. It's just my guess. Like, I don't really know where they source their um, chicks from, but like, it's a big company. I know they're sourcing them from farms, though. So maybe it's different. Like maybe sometimes they come, you know, they're with their moms for a little while and then they come to us. But they were only a few days old. So even if they were with even if mom sat on them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Even if mom had sat on them and like helped them hatch or whatever or and watched over them for a day or two they wouldn't have been with mom for very long and i imagine they weren't because i think that would create a lot of complications like imagine your job is to have like rehome chicks and yes. like sell them in a retail environment it seems like it would be really complicated to try to do that and let mom have anything to do with it so i don't know that for sure but i do know that we never saw them with their mothers um so there's some essence of like what it would look like to watch a chick grow up with its mom that was just missing and yeah. um like I orphanage. do.
0: You have like like yes. an old timey orphanage of. Yeah. Like no- the way I
1: was thinking of it, it's like a like a giant preschool classroom because I had four different breeds, maybe five four, <laughs> four different breeds. And these chicks are just all running around together, growing up at the same time, kind of influencing and socializing each other, but with no adult chickens to tell them what to do or how to do it. And by the time I got them, they knew how to eat and stuff like, you know, they weren't They were old enough to know how to get themselves to their food and eat it and drink their water, so we didn't have to do that. But like, we did have to make sure they didn't. I don't know, just keep them under the warm lamp, and it was really very simple. But um, but also like, I think there's something missing, and I would really like to at one point hatch some chicks with their moms and let them grow up with their moms when just when we decide it's time to do that. Probably next summer would be my guess. Um, so anyway, there's, it was kind of like. All of these little chicks that kind of looked the same in their breed, right? Or in their, yeah, like, so their type. One thing that was interesting is that they grew at rapidly different paces. So sometimes I'd come out and think I knew which chicks were which breed. And then a couple of days later, they would look so different that I would have no idea. So right. I was not able to tell them apart um, by their looks really at all. I did notice that some of them were more friendly, more... Um, curious would come up to me. And then a few of them early on got combs. And so those were the ones that got names. Unfortunately, it turned out that several of them had combs because they were roosters. So I got kind of attached to roosters and I don't know, like part of me kind of wishes because there were so many of them and the way we were handling them, they were like in this little room that I had to kind of climb into and then they'd all run around my feet. There just wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of bonding happening. Yeah. And I kind of wish that someone like one had imprinted on me, but I'm absolutely sure it would be Ginger who's going to end up in the pot because Ginger yeah. is now trying to attack us. So like I would have imprinted on the ones that probably weren't going to make it in our and now I'd have the guilt of being like, well, maybe I should rehome this mean rooster and I'm going to look for a home, you know, no, because everyone in the world wants a mean rooster. Right. Like,
0: Right. All oh, your yeah, neighbors. All your neighbors are. What's <laughs> so their greatest wish? Do you exactly. know anecdotally, do you have you talked to people with smaller starter flocks? Like if you'd gotten six or eight chickens, um, do they feel more of like a little bit of an attachment or like, you know, name them? Or is it just I mean, does it just depend? This is like I think it depends. It
1: But I think that what I've learned, you know, I was a novice. Eric had had chickens before, but never more than like six at a time. And he, you know, we're at the store and I said, well, how many is too many? He said, well, we have space for, you know, 20, 25. And I said, oh, and I said, well, should we do that? He's like, yeah, why not? So he was not looking at it at all. Like he had a very practical, pragmatic standpoint. Like the more chicks we buy, the more eggs we'll have later. Whereas I think if I could go back and do it again, I would have gotten like six. I just think it would have given me more opportunity to Get what I really wanted out of it, which was just getting to watch them grow up. But at the same time, I kind of don't want the pressure of having them be pets either. Yeah. So I don't know. I totally understand. The way it turned out, it's fine. Yeah. Um, I do think that when people have smaller flocks, um, or flocks that start small and then they add new chickens slow, more slowly, I think those people tend to have more of like a bond, and they, you know, name them and attach to them and cuddle them. Like my chickens and I do not cuddle together. I don't when they were really little, I would hold them in my lap, but, um, there were so many, I would lose track of which one I had held last. And so I wasn't, they weren't all getting socialized the same. It was like the curious ones that would run yeah. up to me were the ones that sat in my lap and the other ones never did. And now like, you know, some of them come up to me quite readily like ginger who wants to stab me with his talents. Um, yeah, I, I actually thought he was just being really friendly until he ran at me and started kicking me. One of his
0: concubines he wants to herd you into the coop
1: well i think he wants to kick me with his sharp sharp um thing on the back of his leg i can't think of the word of it in the minute and like that can really it can give you an infection like it's not because they just walk around in their own poop yeah. and yeah mino want that so yeah. anyway um yeah and i guess that just to also touch on the rooster thing is What I have read is that the ideal number of roosters is one to every 10 or 10 to 12, I think, hens. Um, More than that, and the roosters will fight each other. And the older they get, the more aggressive they will become. Mm -hmm. And um, also, there's often city ordinances where you can't have any roosters. I think where we are, we're technically not supposed to have roosters, but we're far enough out that unless the neighbors complain, it's going to be fine. But it's really that they become aggressive and mean, and then you can't trust them, and they can actually start to stress the hens out and fight each other. Like they can, it can get quite violent. So we're now down. Two of the roosters have um, become dinner, and we probably will um, call another two. Mm -hmm. And when I say we, I mean Eric will do it.
0: That is a we. Yeah, I will support him in
1: any means necessary. You will make besides actually doing it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So. Anyway, um, so that's kind of that's like the chicks. And they went through like a an awkward teenage stage where they were all weird feathers and gawky and they looked terrible. And at that point, too, some of them grew really, really fast and became enormous. And the other ones just stayed like small. So it's just been so interesting to watch them. But they are now all fully grown and they have all moved into their chicken mothering stage. So is this a good time for us to take a break? And when we come back, talk about animal mothering.
0: Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at VionicShoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet.
1: Okay. So we're going to talk about chicken and cat mothering right now. Um, Again, we are going to do our best <laughs> to at least be honest about how much we project our human feelings about motherhood onto these animals. Yep. Um, And like I mentioned, for me, it's kind of backward because I haven't actually observed any chicken mothering yet. Like I've observed babies growing orphans. up without a mother, yeah. orphans. Yes. And now I'm observing hens really vigorously trying to conceive. Um, and that's all I know. So I'm starting to see nesting behaviors, but I haven't yet seen true chicken motherhood. Um, I will just answer a couple of questions that I had about chicken fertility yeah, and how I it works. Say, I, I could yeah. throw the
0: dummy questions at you, but it, I think you, you, I don't know anything about like chicken egg laying behavior yeah. or like even how those would, Hatch into chicks or not? The fertilization. Right. I'm like embarrassingly uninformed. no, no. I was
1: also. I mean, I okay. had chickens at my house and was googling things like, "Can I eat fertilized eggs?" Like that's how ignorant I was. I had no idea. So, um, when they started to lay eggs, I originally thought it was going to be around sixteen weeks. And one of our contributors, Stacy, and I have been messaging back and forth on Instagram because she got chicks just like maybe a month after me, and so she was very anxiously waiting. And we both were a little. I guess misinformed because some of the resources said 16 weeks. And then I read another one that was like at least 20 weeks before they're um, old, before they're consistently.
0: Maturely
1: laying, maturely laying eggs. So I would say now probably half of the hens are laying eggs regularly, maybe a little more. I, I watch them and I try to see which ones are doing it. And I can tell, well, I can tell the bantams. Those are the really little ones. And we have a whole bunch of Bantam hens, um, but they're not laying eggs as much as as the bigger hens. Now, they were the ones who started. They were the oldest. And we got them cheap because they were kind of old. Yeah. And but they're teeny tiny. They're also the ones who can easily fly out of the coo- like they can fly out of the fence. They fly to the top of the fence. Then they fly into the trees and they come back. And I have a feeling they're laying their eggs oh, out someplace okay. and not inside. Um Just to guess, because at first we were getting lots of bantam eggs and now we're not getting as many. So I think when the older hens or the bigger hens started moving into the nesting boxes, the little ones went and found a different place to lay, which is annoying, but it's okay. Um, So the average number of eggs a hen will lay in a year is about 200, but they do slow down during the winter. So you kind of expect to get like an egg or a every day or every other day at this time of the year, but it takes some time to ramp up to that. And some of the first eggs are really weird. Like we had a few that were like really soft shelled and a few that were weirdly shaped, a few that were really small, even though they came out of normal sized hens, they are starting like every time I go out to collect eggs, now there's eight, nine a day. So that's where we are with that. Now here's the thing about fertilization. As I've mentioned, there's a lot of chicken mating happening under my nose and so those eggs are fertilized, but as long as you get them out from under the hen quickly, like within a day or two, or maybe more than that, but we want to get them out from under the hens quickly um, and put them in the fridge. They won't, they won't continue to fertilize and they just look like a regular egg
0: with a regular yolk. So even dumber chicken reproduction question, <laughs> if yeah. you had no roosters, these yeah. hens would be laying eggs in the same way our human bodies release an yeah. egg a month or whatever regardless of um fertilization but can you assume so when there's mating behavior going on because you do have roosters like you can assume that because of that mating behavior those eggs have been fertilized is it kind of like as like if this then that
1: yeah like- i think that there's i mean i think that there's some possibility the egg would be a dud egg as I remember it being referred to in Charlotte's Web. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, either didn't get fertilized for whatever reason or um, didn't off. take, it, or just didn't take. Now, yeah. those roosters are pretty good at mating. Like, okay. they don't, like, no hen escapes their notice. Got it. Okay. So I have a feeling that doesn't happen that often. Um, okay. The other thing, and and this has to do, too, with, like, collecting the eggs from hens. Um, there's what's called a broody hen, and that's a, a hen that really wants, to, really wants to sit on her eggs. And they can get very depressed if they sit on an egg that never hatches. They can become like basically suicidal because they won't leave their boxes and they won't go eat and they won't take care of themselves. So that can be a real problem. Um, and they will sit on each other's nests or on each other's eggs. So sometimes I'll come in. I've got a couple Ladies, so I think could be kind of broody, and I have to move them off the eggs. So they would never let me just like handle them like that in right. if they were walking around the yard, but they will let me pet them. They will. I will have to lift them up and pull the eggs out from under them because they just want to sit on them.
0: And then okay. once I do, like now I, I really want to anthropomorphize this. Like this, <laughs> I, I really I feel like there's. I I want them to have access to good mental health care.
1: I do too, but the best mental health care apparently is just to either take the eggs away or let them hatch. Like, there's really nothing else I can do for them. And once I take their eggs away, they don't feel bad about it. They just kind of go, OK. And then they just go back out and join the other hens. Right. And they just cluck and, you know, get mated on again. And yeah, object permanence. Right. So they it's instinctive. They know what they have to do. Yeah. But like, I don't. And then they they have some of them just have much more of an urge to keep doing it. It's yeah. once the option's taken away, it doesn't seem to have a long term effect on their right. psyche. And, but and if we're yeah. going to
0: like back to the anthropomorphizing for a second, they are not humans. And so like I'm making a joke that like I feel bad for them that they can't or won't or like are confused about how they're going to get this egg to hatch into a chick. But at the same time, like that assumes that they even have emotional capacity that we're we just, we don't know that chickens do, you know what I mean? Like, I'm giving them a whole lot of benefit (laughs) of the doubt in terms of social, emotional complexity. I not to take away from any of their instinctual behaviors or like how they are wired to be chickens is amazing, but like, it's not really fair to anyone for me to layer what I think that must feel like in their emotional souls.
1: Well, and also the, the truth is, if they were out in the wild, most of their ch- chicks wouldn't make it. I mean, you know, some would get picked off by um, hawks and weasels and whatever. And we wouldn't expect them to mourn the loss of a baby. Like, that's not how nature works. <laughs> if, it, right. if that was what was happening, they would turn into humans and then they'd have fewer children and they right. would move into houses and they would get corporate jobs and they would you know listen to podcasts and pay taxes that's just not like none of those things are happening
0: and for, if mourning happens if mourning or <laughs> sadness or perinatal depression happens in chickens it's not we don't know what it feels like or looks like because right. we are exactly. not chickens right. it's yeah. it's almost like maybe they do have their ways of feeling and mourning but it's not going to look like us cuz they're not humans right right
1: Exactly. They're not reading the Enneagram and trying to figure out why, (laughs) you know, why they're feeling the way they are today. And, and the feel, whatever, however feelings work, however emotions work in a chicken are very necessary to their survival. But I tend to think, and this is just me assuming it won't be it won't be extra survival necessary. Does that make sense? Like they won't, they won't feel anything more than they need to feel to continue their species. Yes. Um, I wanted to share one fun thing about an, a uh, hens, sorry, is when they, there's something called an egg song that I am now hearing all morning long at my house when my windows are open and it's after a hen lays an egg. And there's different theories about why they do this. Um, they sing their little song and it's the very like typical stereotypical like that, Uh huh. but it's super loud and for a very long time. And they're just like, buck, 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 buck. and then sometimes that they'll do that. and Another one will start and then the rooster will crow at them. And it's quite funny. I've read that it's like a way just to be so proud of themselves, which I kind of like that idea. I've also yeah. read that it can be an instinctive way to lead predators away from the eggs um, or to let other hens know the nesting boxes open because they do right. share nesting boxes. So right. um, anyway, who knows why, but I think it's really cute and I love, Hearing that coming from their yard during the day, it makes me smile. And I guess <laughs> I don't have any real experience watching hens as moms, but I will just say that I have read, and this kind of just, it makes me want to witness this with my own eyes. Um, that I mean, there's a reason Mother Hen is like such a fright. It's like such a yeah. truism, right? Yeah. They're very they're known as being very protective for hiding chicks under their wing, letting the chicks eat first, um, all kinds of things. And I, I actually grabbed a couple of little um, snippets from an article I read that we can link to about why, like why mother hens are known to be such good mothers. I thought these were fascinating. So one says a, a hen knows instinctively how long to sit on eggs and when to turn them. Occasionally she will stand to rearrange the eggs or briefly leave the nest. These periods allow enough light to reach the eggs to enhance brain development, but are short enough to prevent eggs from losing too much heat. While still within the egg, embryos learn the sound of her cluck and close to hatching, they will respond to her by beak clapping. They emit distress and contentment calls to which she responds. The clicks and beak claps allow them to synchronize their hatching. And then it talks a lot about social learning, which I think is one of the things. I actually have read a couple articles, um, again, sort of like the foster cat mom telling you you should wean them. I've read articles that staunchly say you should separate chicks from their moms early on because they're more protected in a group and blah, blah, blah. And other ones that say, no, let them do what happens naturally because the mom is teaching them something. She's teaching them what is good food yeah. and like what to not eat. She's teaching them what to be afraid of. You know, chickens are kind of basic they're afraid of shadows they're afraid of things overhead um and they'll not learn that unless they watch unless they're taught
0: yes yes
1: and someone has to see that a hawk will eat you before the chickens know why they're afraid of a shadow they don't even really know why they're just you know they run i see them run like if there's something overhead i see them all run into like a protected area of the yard but they don't really know why they're doing it and i think that that um generational learning is helpful so I, this is also interesting that this is about um, the mother hen uses a special food call and pecking display to indicate what is right to eat. So what she displays, they approach when she displays this with her calls, they feed on the items that she points out. And then if she sees them eating something, she considers the wrong food based on her experience, which she wouldn't be able to do if she didn't have experience. She increases her calls, picking up and dropping suitable suitable food and beak wiping until they switch to the right food. I just find all of that fascinating and I really want to watch it happen in real life.
0: I love it. And it makes me feel like so much compassion for Like they really are really good mamas, even if that's by our human definition. I love it. Exactly.
1: They're they're just as good as they need to be. Yes. <laughs> like they're necessarily good, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, what about you? What have you observed with mama cats and their mothering habits?
0: Well, admittedly, a very small sample size, but I just felt like a huge wave of like appreciation right after we got this little family. We we were on the list to foster. And I did think that fostering a mother and babies would be fun, but it wasn't the only thing we could have gotten. We could have gotten an abandoned like an orphan litter. Um, We could have gotten a pregnant mom and then seen her through the delivery. So getting a mom who had already gotten her babies through the first few kind of crucial weeks and was already actively mothering was so cool. She was such a good mama. Um, She, like I said, was probably a teen mom. So she was going off of her instincts and like nobody taught her how to do this. I don't think she just knew what to do. Um, I will say some of the things I observed about how she was with us humans were that she'd seem to be really conserving her energy for the essential activities in the beginning. Just like, just like we do as new moms, like she was just social enough with us and, and kind of like, she didn't display a lot of what I think of as typical adult cat behaviors. Like she didn't jump up on surfaces very much. She didn't like investigate things. She was sort of like truly in her little um, lactating bubble where her only purpose seemed to be taking care of these babies. Now she was protective and she was what I thought of as worried. I guess I can't project that she was actually worried, but we would open there. They, um, were staying in this half bath, um, little bathroom that we have off the hallway. And so that was their room. And in the beginning, that door was closed a lot of the time. And then we'd open it and we'd let the little babies explore a little bit, or we'd go in and pet them. But as time went on and the babies would come further out into the hallway and into our front living room, she would come and I can post a picture in the show notes or on Instagram because I have a great picture. She would come and she would sit alert at the doorway to the bathroom and she would watch them. And she had this specific sound she would make. And it wasn't like she was totally panicked, but it was almost like a chirp. You know how cats will do that chirp where it's like
1: to birds, like, Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And it was almost like, she was either talking to them or probably more likely she was signaling to them where she was so that if they needed to like if they got distracted as toddler kittens are wont to do that they knew where she was so she would just sit at the door and kind of um pensively she did seem a little worried but not so worried that she was like freaking out she was just sort of uh, at attention sitting at attention making this very specific sound. And I just want like, as they got more adventurous, that's when I started to be like, Oh honey, they're okay. Like they are doing what they are meant to do. Like you're doing fine. They're going to be okay. But, and I felt like I wanted to calm her. Like she was a little bit overly worried as time went on, Mm -hmm. but it's at the same time I admired it. Um, one time she came at me. So she was protective, but we didn't give her a lot of reason to need to be protective. Like we were pretty good about, we kept the dog away. She would hiss at the dog, even though the dog's really gentle and friendly. Um, but she would hiss at him and he learned. So he like Xander really respected her boundaries, which I gave him major points for like, she told him how close he could come and he listened. So that was kind of cool because we didn't have to be involved very much like she made it very clear what she was OK with, which also allowed us to get closer to the kittens because we knew that if we did something she didn't like, she would tell us she was not afraid to stand up for her babies. But one time, this, like what made me so sad, I was making the bed and the brother kitten was running around and I stepped back and I stepped on his little tiny leg. I felt Aww. so bad. He like ran right underfoot, and he yelped and he ran right under uh, a chair in the corner. And I, of course I was like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. And maybe five seconds went by and I thought I'm going to just check on him and see if he's okay. So when I, when I first stepped on him and she first heard him yowl. She came from under the bed, charging at me and swiped at me, which of course I expected like that. That was the instantaneous instinct. But then what was interesting is a few seconds later, I went over to check on him under the chair and she came at me again like she was still mad. She was still mad at me and she (laughs) knew it was me and I was going to check on him. But I thought that it kind of showed like a little bit higher cognition. I felt like it's one thing to say, baby meowed she's going to attack the first thing that's near her baby but enough time had passed even if it was just 10 seconds or something where she was still watching me and trying to figure out like how to go help her baby but i was in the middle and she was mad and he was okay he he kind of like walked carefully for like 5 minutes and then 15 minutes later he was rolling around like a crazy man again so he was okay but i just thought that was like such an interesting view into protective mother and And her,
1: her little cat brain trying to figure out like, what is this person a danger? Right. Like, will there be more danger was, you know, like not knowing really accident (laughs) or intention or any of that. Yeah. That is fascinating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, But she was such, she was such a good mom. And I know we're going to talk about next, we're going to talk about separating. And so I'll save some of my other thoughts about (laughs) when I thought maybe she was ready for a little break from her babies, but when she needed to be attached and protective and single focused as we sometimes say about human mothers she was like amazing i have so much respect for her
1: well yeah that's a great um segue to talk about the the changing mother baby pair and i yeah. think that you know again it's like there's the there's the mom doing what the mom does and then there's the kids doing what the kids do and then there's the what do they call that the triad or the diet or something? And there's the relationship between them that changes and that's yeah. its own thing. It's like its own entity really. Yeah. And um, in one of those articles, I'm not sure if it was the same article. Oh yeah, no, it is. Um, there was a little thing about chicken independence that I thought was great. So it says during the first four to eight weeks or so, the chicks stay close to their mother gathering beneath her wings every night at dusk. Eventually she flies up to her perch or a tree branch indicating her sense that they and she are ready for independence. So she just cuts them off. And I just find that fascinating. Um, It it occurs to me that in the animal world, there are these instinctive built-in systems for this sort of thing to happen. Like little babies getting pushed out of the nest because they keep pooping in the nest and things like that. But we don't really have that in the human world. And we could talk about that a little more, but I am because your world w- was a little complicated and that there was a mama and two babies, but also human interaction. And yeah. you would say perhaps interference. Yeah. Did that make things more complicated and what did it look like? Did you see the kittens doing things that made you have to step in because mom wasn't going to do it? Cause she kind of almost saw that there was a hierarchy there or something.
0: Well, that's a really good question. Um, I think this was something I overthought a lot because with the foster organization, we had options. Once the kittens are eating solid food, technically, like we could have relinquished the mom at any time. Um, A lot of foster kittens don't even get the benefit of their lactating mom. Like they're separated even earlier and they're bottle fed and So we had this, as I mentioned, we had this like luxury of extended nursing. And after the lady tried to tell me how important it was to like wean abruptly, the vet, um, the the one appointed by the foster organization actually said, no, if things are going well, let them nurse, like let, let them, they'll be healthiest. They won't um, have any like GI issues that sometimes happen, um, when you wean too soon. So, so then I like kind of shifted into this, like we're going to you know like support this extended attachment extended breastfeeding toddler situation and i started to be really pro keeping them together as long as made sense for our family and pro then attachment yeah. cat parenting yes. yeah exactly um as a sidebar we probably don't even have time to discuss but she did have a clogged duct at one point and i like messaged you and i was like um what does one do? Well, I don't know. Like you were going to tell me, but I just thought you would appreciate it. Um, yes. And I think
1: that I actually thought about it for half a second and then thought this seems like the sort of thing nature is going to work out.
0: Yeah. And it did. You're not going to
1: massage your cat's teeth. I'm assuming
0: I didn't massage it. I did check on it and I, and it was better within like half a day. But, um, so I guess the point of this is I went in some big swings in the, in the very beginning I was told, okay, it's our job as humans to get these kittens on solid food, separate the mom, she's got to go get adopted. And it was this very like, um, foster industrial complex. Like I was following the rules. I thought I was supposed to do as the human foster. Then I like kind of went over to the other side of like, they should be together forever. And look how sweet, like nursing toddlers are so funny. They they're like, they would kind of like tackle her down. They they'd sit and crawl all over her while they nursed, just like an older baby or a toddler would with us. And so I was doing lots of that kind of projecting and identifying how cute it was to have this like toddler nursing trio with mom. And then I kind of came back to the middle because I started to see um, I it, what I thought. And this is totally projecting. It felt like she was ready to live a kitty life where she didn't have to be worried all the time. That was like, Mm. that was the projecting I was doing. And maybe there's a cat version of that, but she still was protective when Xander was around. She still was worried when they left the bathroom. She still, she couldn't relax because they were in her care But yet they wanted to be independent. They wanted to come all the way down the hall and rough and tumble wrestle with us. They wanted to play with the dog. They wanted to, like, explore. And so I was feeling this natural tension with, like, I felt like she was not as happy as she could be because she couldn't turn her mom instincts off. But her babies were they were, like, making her crazy because they were getting more and more independent. So that was a long way of saying at a certain point I was talking to the foster people and I was like, I think she's ready to wean. They certainly don't need her milk anymore. And then I knew my brother was likely going to adopt her. So I, I could kind of envision this apartment with no other pets and no children where she could just live her best life. And that's where we are right now.
1: So it occurs to me that like in the human world, we've built constructs around that time. It yeah. would maybe be preschool or yes. kindergarten, or in my case, sending kids to college, like whatever it is, right? And your mama cat didn't really have an opportunity. Like Nothing was changing externally for her. And she wasn't like out in the wild where she could just leave them or where (laughs) they would one day run away and not come back, which I imagine would be what would happen in the wild. Like they'd run off and find a mate. Yeah. And that would be it. And so things would just move along. Um, You were like their new family sort of, but nobody was able to relax into their roles. And Yeah. yeah, that's fascinating to me.
0: Yeah. So I think um, my hope—it's still new with where she's being placed with my brother—but um, I I did not feel bad by the time we took her in to separate, and this foster organization is wonderful. And like I kind of had a line of sight; she wasn't in a she wasn't in the shelter for a very long, couple of days. Um, I did not feel any human guilt. I really felt like everybody would benefit from the eventual separation. And maybe that's like, that's what we hope to feel with our kids too. Like by the time it's right, it's right.
1: Right. Yeah. And we don't over, well, I'm not going to say we don't overthink it because we do. We're humans. We're really good at overthinking everything, but there are systems in place for that to happen. Even though sometimes those systems are a little confusing <laughs> and right. they seem to change a lot and we're not sure how we could, should engage with them. The fact is that they exist. And yeah, that's why most people know at, 18 it's time for their kid to be going off and doing something even though they have complicated feelings about it. Yeah.
0: Um I want to add one more thing about the sibling personalities cuz I um we've had so much to talk about today. I've not had a lot of time to I I've been lumping the kittens into like both of them, but we call them brother and sister cuz they don't have real names yet. It's taken us a long time for some reason. And sister, I was joking that she was like so attached to mama and so I sometimes called her like developmentally like on her own timeline which is a really good reminder that like in the animal world in the human world like you can say that kittens are ready for solid food at five weeks or ready to be separated at nine weeks but like they're all a little different and we just saw such difference in personality right from the get-go in um sis who wanted to nurse all the time she would cry if she was like two feet from mom. She still cries if her brother's down the hall and she's much better. So like the cool thing is I've gotten to see like, okay, she's a clingier, uh, more risk averse. Like she was a mama's girl. She's a little bit of a crybaby, but even she has made strides in independence. And it's just been so, so cute to see their personalities from the very beginning um, be like play out. And that's just another way that I, I can't help but think of kids you know these had the same two yeah. mo- they had the same mom same two babies same mom same living situations, same food offered same entertainment and enrichment offered and the way they engage with the world and the way they were attached or ready to separate from their mama was so different in a really adorable way
1: I do think that like at you know you and I were, were talking before we started recording about how when we witness animal behaviors we we are humans and we don't want to um necessarily like give into our baser natures because because we're we're humans like we that's not how we behave and but we do seem to create a lot of complication we don't need to we don't need to create in our lives and that's what right. I when we talk about these animals and how you know mama just doing the bare necessities because that's and probably feeling no kind of way about it she doesn't right. feel any guilt that she's not getting the dishes done or um <laughs> feeling like maybe I should be going back, like putting on my my power suit and getting my little briefcase and going back to work. Like that was just very stereotypical, like 80s working mom thing. But you know what I'm saying? Like she's yes. not feeling any of that. She's just doing the thing. And she's not, and I don't want to be a cat or a chicken, but there's like a little part of me that just kind of envies that simplicity and like just the lack of complication.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said, they're, they, have ways whether they attach meaning or judgment to it or not. They have ways of creating separation when it's time, like your chickens flying up, or the the chickens who fly up and just are like, "Welp, figure it out now, babies." Um, right. That we have um, done more hand wringing and more have had to build in those systems, right? Um, yeah, and then we have all the thoughts about them. I'm not sure the kittens and chickens have all the thoughts.
1: <laughs> I have a feeling they have a lot fewer thoughts than we do, but. <laughs> There's still a lot of fun to watch. And this has been a lot of fun to talk about. I knew there was like going to be a lot that would come out through this conversation that we've just been both sitting on all these so, months.
0: I also wonder if this will bring out of the woodwork listeners who maybe don't usually respond to an episode or don't usually write us emails or comment on social, but who have particular animal husbandry knowledge or interests mm, or maybe just super cat that. fans or super chicken fans or um, want to take us to task for incorrect information that we surely sure there was
1: incorrect information I shared at some point. So, yeah. yeah.
0: So no, we love, we love hearing from you. If you are like, if you are all about kittens and chickens, let us know. We definitely both have more photos and videos than we have shared. Um, and I have been off social in August, but, um, would be fun to maybe put together some, some pictures or videos. Um, and I'm just so curious what subset of our audience is like Really excited to talk more about kittens and chicken.
1: <laughs> we can start an offshoot podcast. How about that?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, next week, we are not at all talking about chickens or kittens. We are talking about house rules for after school. So, house rules is a fun series that um, we haven't done a house rules episode in a few months. So, bringing that back, and we've had a lot of requests for tips, tricks, ideas, and routines relating to the after school, like kids are home. What are the expectations around putting backpacks away, cleaning up, um, doing homework, screen time, dinner prep, all the things that happen after school and before bed, basically. And so we are going to enlist our wise listener community for some great house rules. Um, And so that will be coming out a week from today, next Tuesday. So this was so much fun, Megan. Thank you for uh, leading us through this delightful conversation.
1: You mean like a mother hen?
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I'm going to go do my egg call, not my egg song now.
0: We'll talk to everybody soon. Talk to you soon.
1: The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance.
0: Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data.
1: Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code theMomHour. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E R I K A dot A P P, and use code theMomHour to save 20%. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts, or head to theteasemade.com to find all the episodes.